he's just written concerning prayer and conduct and character. He applies it, because they're all really very interrelated, he applies it to men, and then he applies it to women. And he begins by saying, I desire then that in every place, where you worship, where you live, I desire that in every place around the world that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Well, there's a great biblical tradition of raising our arms with our hands held up in prayer, and in the first century it was the primary prayer posture of men in the synagogue. Our outward posture, and the reason it's focused or emphasized in Scripture, is an expression of the inward condition of our hearts. Um, unfortunately, I would say, and I apply this to myself as a critique, we're not so concerned with posture. We sit and pray. Well, I'll tell you, you know, in the Bible, they, 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 they knelt. Uh, you know, they knelt and they prayed. They prayed with their heads bowed, yes, but they also prayed with their eyes toward heaven. They prayed with their hands up. They prayed standing. They prayed uh, uh, prostrate on the ground, lying out on the ground. They understood, for them, prayer was, was a physical as well as a spiritual act. And what was happening physically was a mirror, a reflection of what was happening spiritually. And I think it's more than that. I think that, in fact, we've been created in such a way that if we dispose our physical being to support what we're seeking to do spiritually, that reinforces what we're doing spiritually. It's not for show. It's not so other people think we're righteous. It, it, I think it really does help. Really does help. And there's a great biblical tradition about it. And we raise our hands to express our openness. Um, we are inviting God to come. We are inviting him to examine us. We have prepared ourselves. Our, our hands are clean for you. We, have looked forward, we look forward to seeing you. We want you to be in our presence. We want you to know that you are welcome here. So we honor him with clean hands. We welcome him. When we have people come to our house, you know, it's very common. You know, it's 20 minutes. They're going to be here. You know, I, this is the time. I've got a shower. I know. I, I showered last week, but I've got to do it again because we're going to have some guests over here. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 kind of captures this sense of outward expression and inward condition because it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You see that connection? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his hands? No. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully? Well, now we have the same exact idea here in Paul. And Paul is contrasting holy hands with unholy hands. His focus is on our spiritual condition. It's not on the posture we use when we pray. And he makes that clear when, after saying with holy hands, he adds this qualification, without anger or quarreling. Anger is literally wrath, like the wrath of God. Quarreling uh, or infighting is the antithesis of a peaceful and quiet life, um, of dignity and godliness. It's the antithesis of it. So if fervent prayer serves to promote a quiet and peaceable spirit in us, an angry, an angry I feel like I'm going back to Prince's Bride, an angry, moage, uh, an angry and quarrelsome spirit undermines our prayers. 
And what I mean by undermines our prayers is that even if it doesn't keep us from praying, it keeps us from being effective in prayer. Paul's words aren't limited to when men are praying with each other. You know, I always read the passage like, this is men's group. When the men, well, sure, it's men's group when men get uh, together, but I think he's addressing how men conduct themselves with everyone, uh, beginning uh, in the home. There's a similar passage about men and about women in 1 Peter, as many of you know. And the Apostle Peter there said to husbands and wives, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are co-heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's the same principle, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I realize there's lots of debate over women being the weaker vessel, and I have preached on that um, at other times. But I will just simply say this in a pointed way uh, today. Um, I'll say to the ladies, it doesn't matter if you have 30-inch muscular biceps. It doesn't matter if you're a professional wrestler. I don't care if you are an Olympic weightlifter and your husband is a 98-pound weakling. He has an obligation to treat you with a tenderness and a care that is reserved for no one else. That's the truth. And I think that's the principle, main principle, that Peter is talking about. There's more there, but I'm not preaching out on that passage. You know, my youngest son, Joe, played the drums today, I believe, is married to Kaylin. They've been married, well, they're veterans. They've been married for about three and a half weeks or so. And at their wedding reception, my oldest son, Isaac, took it on himself uh, to offer some good advice um, based on his 11 years of marriage. And this is something that he said. Um, he said it much better than I'm going to, and he had 10 points, but I can't do that because I'm a preacher. He basically said to Joe and Caitlin, but I think he was especially speaking to Joe, that when you feel conflict coming on with each other, he said, ask yourself these four words. Am I being selfish? And, you know, to that we could add envies, jealous, rivalry, lust for dominance. You know, forces that cause such suffering and misery in the world cause suffering and misery in our household. And then he added to my dear youngest son that when you approach such, such stress points, he said, stop and pray. You're on the same side. Very important. And I think that's sort of a principle that we see reflected here in Paul. His words speak to the heart of every man. Uh, we know how belligerent we can be. We know how overbearing we can be. As men, we know all about male anger. And Proverbs 25 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Or to put it positively, Proverbs 16 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules the spirit is better than he who takes a city. So Paul is establishing a context for how we conduct ourselves and live in God, as part of God's family, in God's household. And then he moves on and he addresses the women. He says, likewise also, that women, and you notice likewise, he's talking prayer and the same context. Uh, he's talking conduct, he's talking character. 
He says, likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Well, here again, Paul is talking on two different levels. He's talking on the outward and the inward, uh, the expression and the reality. Uh, Our outward demeanor, including our dress, expresses a great deal about the condition that we're in, our spiritual condition. And the truth of the matter is that God created women beautiful. I mean, you know, it's just a fact. Uh, Adam looked at Eve and said, this is bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh. Uh, What he meant was, she looks a lot better than I do. That's exactly what he was saying. Um, God created women beautiful. And the truth is that from early childhood, our our daughters desire to be beautiful and, 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 and to make themselves beautiful. And if that desire is squelched, it has been squelched because of hurt or mistreatment or rejection. And that's tragic. But it does raise the question, what is it uh, to be beautiful? Um, What is it to look beautiful? Uh, This week I I read a news article about how a mother of four in the Midwest uh, took to social media to call out Target. Could have been any clothing firm with children's clothes, so I'm not picking on Target, but she took on Target and how clothing sexualizes girls. She wrote, Dear Target, you know I love you, but we need to talk about tween girls for a minute. More specifically, we need to talk about what you're offering them in the athletic wear department these days. It's ridiculous. Uh, She went out to uh, buy her 10-year-old daughter a pair of athletic shorts, and she could only find what she described as teeny tiny, itsy bitsy, way too short shorts. She said, I don't fancy myself a prude, but neither do I take the responsibility to teach my daughters about modesty and appropriate dress lightly. We live in a culture sexualized enough as it is. I wish I could go shopping for my tween and not have to worry about her backside or her underwear showing in a pair of athletic shorts. And she bought her daughter a pair of shorts from the boys' section. God created women to be beautiful. But beautiful how? And more importantly, because it really helps answer the first question, beautiful for whom? And the answer is beautiful for her Lord and God. And when you look at this passage, when Paul says women should adorn themselves with respectable clothing, you won't see this in English, but I want to tell you that in Greek, the verb adorn and the adjective respectable come from the same Greek word. It's a repetition. It's emphatic. It is the Greek word cosmos. The root is the Greek word cosmos. And we get our word cosmetics from this word. Carl Sagan got the word cosmos from cosmos also, by the way. So what does cosmos mean? What does it mean? Cosmos is the term that the Greeks use for the creation that emphasizes its beauty. They have a word, katissis, which means, you know, the universe, the creation, proper. But when they use the word cosmos, they were thinking of the whole universe 
in its beauty. I mean, you look at the mountains in our creation. You look at a sunset, a night sky. God made this creation beautiful for us to see. He adorned it. That's the verb form of cosmos. He adorned it. He arranged and has ordered things so wonderfully. And the fact is, women adorn themselves as God has adorned his creation. They adorn their physical body they, or being. They adorn their hair. They adorn themselves with clothing, with shoes. You know, I was looking, please don't judge me, I was looking at the shoes our ladies are wearing to church today. They're beautiful. I was looking at the shoes that our men are wearing to church today. Not so much. (laughs) They adorn themselves with jewelry, with cosmetics. And I just want to say that um, thank you for caring about how you look. Paul is saying, let your adornment express the beauty in you that is beautiful to God. That's what he's saying. It is not a matter of competition or comparison with other women. It's not a matter of attracting men, but of standing out for God. And of course, the principle of adornment isn't mainly in what you wear. It's mainly in how you conduct yourself. I mean, it's, it's in the kindnesses and the ways that you love and you serve others. God looks at us or looks at you and he says, he says, my daughter. This is my daughter. And those beautiful adornments are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit in men and in women. But I can tell you that in women, I'm sorry, it's just the truth, it is much more beautiful in women to see than it is in men. It's remarkable. It affects people. Now, as Paul's saying here, nothing about women's dress in relation to other people. Is he only speaking about how we present ourselves and live, good works, only in relationship to God? And I'd say, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. He is saying, adorn yourself in a manner that God adorns his own creation with. So people honor you. Yes, so when others see you, they honor you. They respect you. They appreciate you. They admire who and what you are. That's the way God has adorned his creation. Not so people can think they can throw it away or exploit it or take advantage of it. And when they do, those people who treat the creation this way come in increasingly, unfortunately, for very sharp rebuke. Proverbs 31.25 puts it this way, of the godly, the virtuous, the noble woman, strength and dignity, a term we find here, strength and dignity are her clothing. There's this, there's this depth, there's this weight um, to who she is and her character, and it is reflected, it is just really reflected in how she conducts herself. But it also affects how people dress, of course it does. Well, think about it with me. Does this speak also to how women's dress 
or appearance affects other people? I have said, I have said yes. I think Paul is telling us to take care so that in our dress we don't cause other people to stumble. Yes, of course. Men to lust, yes. Women to envy. Women to shame, feel shame. And he talks about expensive clothing. How's that make, how does that offend, uh, affect other people? Uh, be careful not to offend others. Now let me give you a twist on this. Let me give you a twist on this give you a totally different perspective. We as a church, Church of the Atonement, are committed to reaching the nations for Christ. We are a missional church. You cut us, and I hope we bleed missionally. But as a Pakistani brother in Christ confided in me, or to me this week, I was not alone in that conversation, but clearly he was confiding as we're building relationships together. He confided to me, we Western evangelicals bring disrepute to our gospel commitments by the immodesty in our congregations. And he was referring, in particular because he named it, to women wearing strapless tops and bared shoulders. And he, he started there and he stopped there. He did not go any lower. He said, Muslims dismiss us. Women and men who are Muslims dismiss us. This is crass to them. It's vulgar. And what he didn't say, but also made it clear, I think, was that Christians in those cultures are concerned about how closely they identify with us, lest their association with us and how we appear brings discredit on their witness. Now, I had never expected to have that conversation in my entire life. But when the scripture speaks of uh, how we dress, it isn't just, um, we need to consider the impacts. And I think this is the principle. This is the principle. All things may be lawful, but not all things are helpful. Uh, We're always to be mindful of our weaker brother or sister in our choices. We're to be mindful of the fact that we ourselves may be the one who's the weaker brother or sister in our choices. Maybe our culture is blind in us. And we especially need to be mindful of our daughters, our sisters, and others who are learning from us. So Paul is writing about how we live and how we conduct ourselves as God's family as members of his household. He's writing, he's writing about the inner relationship of prayer, conduct, and character. And he is writing specifically to men and specifically to women. Because God has called us as men. He has called us as women to be the pillar and the support, uh, to uphold and to safeguard the truth of Christ and his revelation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for this portion of your word. And uh, it speaks to us and it is, uh, it is convicting. And uh, I pray that as we move forward in our, our lives, we would just as men, as women, be mindful of this. We feel reinforced and encouraged to teach what we really know in our, 
and our hearts about modesty. And modesty isn't just for women, it is certainly also for men. And the way in which we present ourselves, conduct ourselves, speak in public and in private, uh, these are expressions of, uh, of humility. Um, and I, I pray that uh, Christ would be seen in us, would be seen in the men of the congregation, when they speak, when they act, when we react, when we respond. People would see the Spirit of Christ controlling us. And that when men, people look at the women and, of, of our congregation as well, and I mean youth and children as well as grown men, grown women, they would see, they would see Christ. They would see that we live for the honor of another. That we, in our conduct, our dress, and everything, are pointing the way beyond ourselves uh, to our uh, chief, uh, our chief commitment, the one who matters most to us, uh, the one we want to please the most, uh, and that is Christ. No matter where we are, uh, no matter what our circumstance, and uh, and I do sincerely ask this in Jesus' name, uh, with a prayer that you would. Forgive us for our sins. Yeah, I mean, there are many. There are many. They're just many. And, uh, uh, but forgive us. And lead us, in, lead us in the truth as a family, as your family, as your household. Uh, we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name, um, amen.